0: Jacqueline Bouvy is the Scientific Advisor for Science Policy and Research at the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, NICE, based in London. Jacqueline is a Dutch health economist specializing in the interface between marketing authorization and health technology assessment, HTA of drugs. She's been involved in several pan-European IMI projects, AdaptSmart, Roadmap, Neuronet, and Eden. Jacqueline, it's always great to speak with you. How are you doing this morning?
1: Good, thanks. How are you doing? You know, I'm fine.
0: Hunkered down here in Belgium. We're world-class number one winner for COVID deaths. How are you guys doing in the UK? You're still at home?
1: Yes, so nice move to uh, homeworking uh, during the first lockdown. At the start of the first lockdown in March. So, and here we still are six months later. Um, so I'm working from my kitchen in London. <laughs> yeah, have adapted relatively well, I think, given the circumstances.
0: How, how has the day-to-day work at NICE been impacted? I mean, because NICE has always been one of the more productive and active HTAs around the EMA, obviously, Brexit's impacting that too. But I mean, from a COVID perspective, how is this impacting your day-to-day work?
1: For my team, not so much because we mostly do, um, do research and, and, and science policy work. So there has been some impact for my team. Um, but I quite of the work that that we were doing is still the same. For the rest of the organization, though, there has been a really quite substantial impact. Um, we're part of the NHS and we, we, you know, provide guidance to the NHS. So when the service changed completely um, in a very short period of time, we had to adapt to that as well. Um So from the start of the pandemic, we, you know, started producing rapid COVID guidance, um, as well as rapid evidence summaries. There are a host of, you know, new programs and activities that needed to be set up. Um, and I think we've adapted quite well, but it it has been, it has been, um, Interesting times, let's just say that.
0: Are you involved in any of the vaccine analysis?
1: No, no, I have not. Just hopeful that um, there will be some successes um, shortly.
0: One of the things you've been heavily involved in is many of the data programs around the Innovative Medicines Initiative. You're currently involved in EDEN, the European Health Data Evidence Network. What exactly is EDEN and what are you doing in the project? Because you're a project lead.
1: Yeah, well, the, one of the work packages. So EDEN is a five-year uh, public-private partnership. Uh, so it has a number of academic organizations, public organizations, such as NICE, private companies, uh, and SMEs that all work together on this project. And its aim is to set up a, a federated network of data sources that are all standardized to the same common data model. So that's essentially you know, what EDEN is doing. So that means that we're implementing a common data model that's already existing um, and is not owned by EDEN. So that's the OMOC common data model. It's been developed by a community called Odyssey that originated in the in the US, uh, but it's an international and kind of global, global community that um, have developed and maintained this common data model. And what that allows you to do is that it standardizes local data sources to the exact same standard, which means that once a data source has been what we call mapped to this common data model, it is really easy to run the same analysis in in different databases. Um, So it enables you to run multi-database studies in a very efficient way. And it also allows you to do multi-database studies without Data having to having to be shared, so data stays locally. So it's a federated network, but you can do uh, uh, you can do kind of joint analysis of, of, of disparate data sources.
0: And when you say federated, what that means practically is that data lives in the institution where it's owned, and then they do the calculations and then share the result. Is that practically how it works?
1: Exactly. Yes. So you um, all the data is governed by kind of local local data governance. Um, and the data owner is, a, is, you know, in charge of deciding what, what type of research they can and cannot participate in. But yeah, so the data stays locally and uh, only code to na- uh, analyze the data as well as then results are returned um, for a, multi, a multi-database study.
0: How does that work for HTA? Because we've had some experience looking at comparative effectiveness assessment and what we have found is trying to get some of the more advanced statistical modeling that we're doing with Cox regressions and, and some of the more upper end nonlinear statistics can be quite challenging and the hospital staff aren't necessarily geared up to manage some of those calculations to get the comparative effectiveness. How does that work from an HTA perspective? Is federated enough for what you need?
1: Um, not for everything that we do. Um, but there definitely are situations and, uh, you know, certain, certain situations and certain types of evidence that, you know, would be really useful to, u- to use a federated approach. Um, but it is a really interesting question. So that's one of the things that we are doing in the work package that we are, we're co-leading within Eden. So we're really trying to explore kind of what the, what the potential is for, for use of, of a federated uh, model and, and the OMOP common data model within an HTA context. So what we see is that this common data model and this approach has really been developed by kind of the pharmacoepidemiology community. So it's 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 really well developed for running and does this in a very efficient way for running, you know, large, large drug safety studies, drug utilization studies.
0: Perspective analysis of of target groups and things like that, I'm, I'm assuming.
1: Exactly. And especially if you're looking for, you know, rare safety safety events, um, it is really useful that you can combine data from different large data sets and see if you find a consistent signal different studies towards in, in different databases and different countries for HDA because you know the the jurisdiction that HDA is either done at a national or a regional level so they're in terms of doing multi-country, studies, from the perspective of an HTA agency, there might be less of a need for that. Although you can think that in, in, in rare diseases, for example, where there are very few patients in a single country, that that might change, that there might be a need for, for combining data from different data sources. Sure. So Eden is, a, is a, a public-private partnership. So when you look at it from the perspective of a pharmaceutical company that has to prepare, this, prepare the same evidence submission or a similar evidence submission for a lot of different countries, which you typically used in an economic in an economic model. And we see that you can do that, but we've also identified some challenges. So that's, that's, that's stuff that we're working through throughout the moment.
0: And specifically, what are some of those challenges that you've identified?
1: So we found that running the same study where we were specifically looking at um, resource use, so healthcare use uh, of patients. So how often do they visit GPs? Um, how often do they go to hospital? That type of thing. That especially when we were looking at different data sources and how that was measured and then mapped to the common data model, um, that we find some variation in how that was done. Um, especially if you're working with one standard. So within the OMOP common data model, there's one way in which this is all, you know, this these variables so all, all, are all measured. And when you translate a local, you know, if your local data source has 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 measured those variables in a different way, you need to, you know, you need to translate them in a certain, you know, map them onto, onto that different standard. You always see some variation there. And sometimes that is the, the, the that doesn't have massive consequences. Sometimes it can, can then actually impact, uh, impact kind of the granularity in your data. So that was one of the things that we came across. And that's a really important lesson because that's exactly what we're trying to establish within Eden. You know, how well does does the common data model do when it comes to running these types of these types of studies?
0: And this brings up two questions. Then one is, how is GDPR impacting Eden? And then the second one is from a stakeholder perspective. Let, 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 first, let's look at the GDPR. Are you having issues with GDPR in the context of Eden? Or is it basically okay in the context of research?
1: I think it's, 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 basically okay in the context of research i'm not um i'm not against GDPR in any sort of way i think what we see in eden is that because all the data stays locally it is you know really within the kind of the authority of the data owner decides what studies they can and cannot be you know participate in or whatever is compliant with you know their local data governance so, you know, if you have a data source that is not um, able to reuse any, any existing data, that obviously limits the, the options more. But within the federated network, uh, local data owners and the local data governance um, applies. The nice thing about EDEN is that it actually makes running joint studies a bit more efficient because, because there's no need to actually share share the original the original the original data
0: basically the gdpr perspective is from the national regulator and because the data doesn't leave it's all basically copacetic
1: there's no additional not really any additional governance that you need to to be able to run these studies
0: we recently had a situation where we did some comparative effectiveness work and had a huge amount of pushback from practitioners of all people they really weren't happy with what happened You've written a lot on incorporating stakeholder engagement and preferences into new data models that's been one of your areas of research. How do we get that buy-in with some of these real data models and how should that ownership work?
1: I mean, it's a really interesting interesting case study. I think I have a lot of sympathy for practitioners who, you know, already are are as busy as they are. If they have to do something additional on top of their, you know, their normal workload, that they don't necessarily reap the benefits of. I mean, it depends a bit on how your healthcare system is organized and financed, but if they have to do this and then, you know, it enables a payer or a health insurer to, you know, get a rebate for something. um, You know, I can see that there, and this is something that we found in the literature as well, that, you know, um, ideally you need to design data collection arrangements that don't put an additional burden on the health system. Because you get issues with compliance and probably for, you know, for kind of understandable reasons. I think the, the nice thing about using a federated study is that and looking at the if something like OMOP. Which is a common data model that because, you know, all this data is standardized in the exact same way, OMOP actually has a number of tools built on top of the common data model. So one of them is Atlas, um, which allows you to run certain certain studies, uh, safety studies in a really kind of efficient way um the nice thing is that if you would have and this is pretty much like you know this is not something that we've actually done but we're thinking about ways in which we can build new tools on top of the common data model say for example if you would want to implement a pay for performance a pay for performance arrangement you could think that you could actually build that on top of the common data model um which could just extract that data from from a mapped version of a a hospital data set without the need for kind of local um you know, the physicians getting involved if, as long as the data is actually, uh, part of the, part of the data.
0: Once you set up the query, that's it. It's set up and you can keep extracting data in perpetuity, Yeah, you know, and grab the Delta and the change of the data. And then you just have it there for Mm. all, you know, going forward. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What about patient ownership of data? I mean, you've done a lot of work about patient engagement and stakeholder engagement from the patient perspective. Does the OMap model essentially, because of the federated nature, does it sort of sidestep a lot of those issues?
1: Um, we absolutely need to have patient buy-in to um, to use this data. Well, you know, at the end of the day, it's their data that is you know being used. So if if patients are not happy about these types of studies and these types of models and clearly something is something is going wrong my background is more in patient preference studies mm-hmm. rather than kind of ethical issues um, around uh, around data governance and consent so i'm not sure i'm a I'm an expert on those types of issues.
0: But let's look at patient preference then. So in the standpoint of what is being done, so you're doing a federated model, then how do you incorporate the patient opinion into outcomes and, and selection? How would that work?
1: Well, one of the things that we see is an increased interest in patient-reported outcomes and increased use in those as well. And you can you can use those data for lots of different things. So you can use them to track you know, the effectiveness of uh, and outcomes of certain certain treatment options, but you can also use them, which is something that ICHUM does, which is one of the partners in in the EDEN project. You know, use it for for benchmarking of of, of hospitals and look at performance um, on, on kind of pH pay, key patient outcomes. And there's a a focus within the project to um, see how we can enable those those types of activities as well, um, using a common data model. Again, you know, it is. Um, if you have a federated structure and can quite easily do these, do these types of activities without, uh, you know, with data staying locally, that's something that we um, are trying to enable as part of as part of Eden activities.
0: Now, Nice has obviously been an extremely active partner for you know, many years in the IMI and the Innovative Medicines Initiative, as well as Framework and other EU programs. You are now one of the point people who is very active in these projects individually. What do you see happening with Brexit going forward? Given Nice has been so active, what do you think will be the impact?
1: It really depends on you know what happens with with the negotiations, I suppose. So all current IMI projects, so some of these, you know, will be running for a number of years. There. Think final calls um happening this year for imi imi projects so given that so you know part of the existing you know horizon 2020 framework um there still is um uk participation um within those programs for kind of the future so the next uh, horizon europe i think it's called um it really will depend on um how how the negotiations um will pan out I hope that there will be a way in which UK organizations, not just NICE, but UK universities um, as well have made a substantial contribution to, you know, different, lots of different IMI projects that will will, will continue, but how that will look in practice, what that will look like. Um, I'm not sure.
0: One of the things that the recent COVID-19 outbreak has exposed is, you know, very large differences in infrastructure innovation between Europe and the United States and this sort of increasing competition. We've, seen an exposed wound emerge about access to therapies. There are debates going on in the U.S. now about innovative reference pricing, about the difference of costs. The new CAR-T therapies, they're still not available in several European countries like the Netherlands. They still cannot be done commercially. They're only available in clinical trials, and this is two and a half years after they were introduced in mo- some European countries in the United States. Obviously, many of these challenges are being exacerbated by COVID-19. How do we need to respond in Europe to some of these challenges about infrastructure and innovation and how can Eden help?
1: It's a good question. I'm not sure whether, you know, whether Eden can help fix access problems um, in different countries.
0: Could it help speed up innovation?
1: I mean, potentially.
0: Could it help accelerate the decision around reimbursement and access?
1: I mean, it, it could, but, you know, realistically, EDEN and using federated studies is still, you know, we're still in the kind of the early days. I think that there is a lot of, you know, potential and a lot of promise of using federated studies. But, you know, these are not being commonly used in, in the HDA settings at all at the moment. Um, so, you know, it will take a while Um until we get to a point where HDAs um, are more familiar with these, which is something that we're trying to achieve within within the Eden Project. And also that we know that the accommodation model, you know, is really capable of delivering the type of evidence, f- evidence that, that, that we would require for HDA purposes. So that's something that we're working on as part of the project. Um, but I don't think, I think that, you know... <sighs> issues around access to, you know, very expensive, complicated treatments in different countries, probably are multifactorial. Um, and I'm not sure whether, you know, real-world evidence is going to be the answer to to everything.
0: The be-all and end-all?
1: Yeah. <laughs> it would be great if it was, but I, I think it's probably more, more complicated than that.
0: Uh, one thing that Europe, that I've always been amazed at, I mean, given the fact the public nature of most healthcare systems in Europe, one would assume that Europe should have the best longitudinal data set of real patient health anywhere. The NHS theoretically should have public data going back to the founding of the NHS, you know, William Beveridge, 1951. You know, I mean we should have, you know, 70 years of public longitudinal data that's searchable, findable, researchable. What we don't. And what you find is most of the data is owned hospital by hospital. It seems to me that we should be focusing on how to unlock those public assets in such a way longitudinally. If it is a public asset, that it can be, then be a public good. Right now, it's not.
1: I think actually, it makes a lot of sense that that's the currency, That that's the situation that we're in. Because for the longest time, we were, you know, the only reason we were measuring certain certain data was to enable day to day, you know, hospital practices. Sure. So the actual use on top of just you know informing and enabling like day-to-day running of hospitals and tweaking patients so relatively recent I would say it's really come with the effort of you know increasing increasing the tools you know the both the software as well as the 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 types of analysis that we're now enable you know enable us to use that data in a really different way and that there's a lot more interest in secondary use but a lot of data that we have in the healthcare system, it wasn't designed to enable that in any sort of way because there never was, you know, this, this second potential use, you know, yet clinical research that so what happened in clinical trials that had their own, you know, data collection systems and kind of healthcare records. So do, that's what it was, you know, it, it just enabled the delivery of healthcare. So the fact that we now have a huge interest in reusing that data and using it for different types of purposes as well, um, you know, we are still have the legacy that that was never how a lot of these systems were set up and, and designed to be used. The, the move to electronic health records um, is also something that I think really happened in the last 20 years. So we probably, you know, we might have records going back further, but unless they were collected, you know, as part of studies, for example, it probably is not there anymore yeah the idea that you know healthcare data is being has potential other use than just enable the delivery of healthcare things relatively recent, so I think that that explains explains a lot, and you also have to wonder whether you know we shouldn't be. When you think about when you're designing a research study, you know you're only you know there's no point in measuring a variable if you're designing a data collection plan. You know if there's a variable, you're not going to be using it in in some sort of way. You shouldn't be u- You shouldn't be measuring it. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that, you know, when you're recording patient information into into a patient record, it might, you know, work in a similar way. So we could look at that, you know, as researchers and go like, well, it's really unfortunate that they're not measuring these and these things because that's information that would be really useful for these kind of secondary purposes of the data if it's not going to be happening, you know, or enable something in practice where it's not going to, the information is not going to be there. It's something that we saw actually as part of the roadmap project. So that was a big data or real world evidence in Alzheimer's disease project that was part of the big data for better outcomes suite of projects. So we looked at data on kind of diagnostic information of, of, of Alzheimer's patients. So we saw that in practice, you know, once people receive, in clinical practice, once they receive a, a, a diagnostic assessment and then a, a diagnosis of Alzheimer's um, or dementia, there is no need to do a reassessment usually after, you know, to track disease progression. Because once the clinician already and the patient already know what the diagnosis is, you don't you tend to do repeat, you know, repeat measurements of these criteria. But from a research perspective, you know, and also if you want to track disease progression in practice for, you know, for HDA purposes, for example, it would be really beneficial if that information actually was there. But in practice, it isn't. And for good reasons as well, because there's 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 little it, it doesn't provide any utility really in in practice. And that's a, you know, that's a, a, a gap that we're probably going to, you know, continue to see that unless there's also some sort of need in practice, you know, for the data to be measured, it's still probably not going to be in the patient record.
0: That's, I think that's a big difference between the public systems we work with in Europe and the, the privately run systems in the United States, because often what we see is the, the systems that are the best at data capture and data management diligent about how they capture that data and putting in systems to make sure the data is clean and automated and stuff. They're doing it mainly for revenue control <laughs> because they're for-profit hospitals. Mm. It seems like there needs to be some built-in motivation there. The, the, the lack of a market force perhaps is not you know driving these things. Maybe Eden can develop something on the innovation side where there is a revenue potential there, at least from a drug discovery or at least from a an optimization standpoint for better practice. I mean, if it became part of the HTA mechanism or at least the hospital reimbursement mechanism, maybe that would be a way to do it.
1: I mean, potentially, yes. Um, but unless you would change fundamentally how how the system is financed and organized. Sure. I'm not sure whether you, you know, as, as Eden can achieve that, what we can do, however, is you know look at the tools that would, would would enable like easier data collection and also using the data for different purposes you know without imposing that additional burden on the on the health system and that's very much something that I think we we, we have in mind and are, are looking into
0: does Europe need? A different HTA process do you think? I mean there was discussion about centralizing the HTA procedures. Where are those conversations at now? Are they completely stalled and and do we need a more centralized HTA procedure do you think?
1: I think, and this is just kind of my, my personal opinion on the matter, I'm skeptical about having a European harmonized HTA procedure for different reasons but mainly because There's a difference between whether you can do it, you know, theoretically, whether you can do it if you would all have if you would have a new technology and you would all have in all different different European countries, you would have the same comparator, you would be interested in kind of the same same outcomes as well that even if technically you can do it, there still are such huge differences between you know, priorities of different healthcare systems, how systems or finance prices differ as well, affordability differs. So even if you could do, uh, you know, technically you could do some of it, um, whether it would work in practice and whether it would actually, you could design one centralized procedure that would serve the needs of every individual healthcare systems in the same way, I'm skeptical of whether it can actually achieve that. The barriers are more about that than the question of whether technically you could do it. Sure. And you can see that Uneta is doing joint clinical assessments because those seem to seem to work quite well because you can do that. But then you know whether it's the most efficient way of doing things, you know, is a different question as well. But I think the barriers are more about, you know, can you create one single procedure that really, you know, serves the needs of every individual healthcare system, um, rather than technically is it possible to do it.
0: So it's more do you want to do it as opposed to is it possible.
1: Yeah. But also not just do you want to do it, but what are your the needs of your healthcare system, what are the decisions that you're that you want to make.
0: So Eden obviously was supposed to be having its first major grand event with everybody face to face and we were going to do it in Madrid which is now the hotbed of the second outbreak of COVID-19, so that's not happening. We're going to be running a series of webinars. Obviously, we're doing one on October 22nd about infrastructure, and it'll be yourself, Anya Shiel, uh, Nicholas Hedberg, from UNETA. Anything that you hope to get out of that webinar, Jackie?
1: Well, I've got some really great speakers. So I'm really keen to, you know, hear what they think, Um, you know, is the promise or what might be the challenges of EDEN and the Federated Network. Um, obviously, I've been involved in the project from the beginning. So, you know, I. It, <laughs> You're it, not
0: biased at all. Exactly. <laughs> so, it's always nice to
1: get kind of a, a perspective of some really well informed people with, with great, you know, kind of strategic insights. Um, and to see what they think.
0: And so for people who want to sign up for that webinar registrations are currently open, that'll be on October 22nd from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. Central European time, 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. UK time. And I suppose that would be 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern US time. So please feel free to go to the Eden website. That's E-H-D-E-N. Um, just look it up on Google or wherever your search engine du jour and you'll be able to sign up. The final question here for you, Given Brexit and COVID-19, where do you think Eden will be a year from now?
1: I think Eden, so Eden obviously has responded to to COVID-19 by making some of the some of the data partner calls more covid specific and through the Odyssey community has actually been involved in producing rapid evidence. I think what the COVID-19 pandemic has shown is that in these types of situations, having a federated network of data sources that really allow you to very rapidly generate reliable evidence has, has huge potential benefits. So even though Eden was already kind of existing um, and, and, and up and running before the pandemic, it's just really demonstrated how useful it can be to have a system in place that allows you to run these studies really quickly and efficiently.
0: And how do you think EDEN will impact HTA five years from now?
1: Well, my optimistic scenario would be that we would see routine use of EDEN and EDEN-developed tools as part of different HTA procedures in different countries. But, you know, we can't, as EDEN, we can't just achieve that by ourselves. It will need... You know the involvement of kind of the international HDA community. So we're doing a lot of kind of education and awareness type of activity within the project. So we're trying to, you know, make people become more aware of what federated federated networks and accommodation models actually are and how they how they function and what the what the benefits are. So hopefully better use of world evidence in HDA settings enabled through through some of the work that we're doing within Eden.
0: Jacqueline, it's uh, always a pleasure. It's been great speaking to you. Thank you.
1: Thank you.